everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. I'm your host, Michelle Burrard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, and I am really, really happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to thank my guest on the December 23rd, 2022 bonus show, SEO specialist Brandon Leibowitz. You can connect with Brandon on LinkedIn and at his website, seooptimizers.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the December 23rd, 2022 show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is an essential message, especially for the youth, but it's not just for the youth. We adults sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I'm really excited about this month's guest because he helps business leaders live authentically. Michael S. Sieber is an award-winning executive coach, leadership consultant, keynote speaker, and author. He's on a mission to unlock human potential to help people uncover and live their purpose and live a more meaningful and authentic life. His unique methodology has revolutionized how leaders can live authentically and how organizations engage employees. He offers no-nonsense strategies to help people find confidence in their life's narrative, commonalities across generations working today, and ways to communicate with emotional intelligence. Michael's newest book, I Know, A Practical Guide for Awakening to What's Within and Finding Work-Life Integration, tells his story of excruciating emotional pain and contemplating suicide. Cleopatra, his cat, sensed his despair, kept him grounded, and helped him rise from his life's ashes. I Know is a how-to guide Michael uses with clients, walking them through the three phases of personal transformation and nine processes that need to be completed, whether alone or with trusted friends. The book tells Michael's raw and authentic story, offers research-based psychological truths, and is full of real-world client examples. After reading I Know, you'll transition from believing life's answers come from outside yourself to knowing you can discover the answers already inside yourself. For more than 25 years, Michael has led teams and has coached global leaders. He's invested thousands of hours in the arena, managing personal and organizational change, guiding others to uncover their life's missions, and teaching leaders how to create psychological safety by inviting employee life experiences into the workplace. 
Michael has been featured in numerous publications, including Forbes, Authority, Medium, Thrive Global, Arizona Republic, Business Journals, Accounting Today, Financial Executives International, and Best Companies USA. He is a frequent guest on international podcasts and has served on a variety of boards of directors. Michael graduated from the Thunderbird School of Global Management with an MBA and speaks a bit of Mandarin. He is certified by TTI Success Insights to administer the DISC-12 Driving Forces and Emotional Intelligence Assessments. So I would like to welcome Michael S. Siever to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. It is my pleasure, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really excited because, well, first of all, there's that fantastic painting behind you, which I adore and you're going to have to tell us about. But I also really want to dig into who you are and, you know, the work that you're doing is so related to who you are. Yeah. So I like to start my interviews with two questions. Okay. And if you're ready, I'll ask them. I am ready. Okay. Michael S. Sieber. Who are you and how did you become who you are today? We could talk for hours about that, Michelle, Uh, but I am first and foremost, I'm a soul and kind of secondarily, I'm a human. I'm a a son. I'm a stepdad to a a daughter named Aaliyah. I'm a partner to a, a wonderful woman named Tiffany. I'm a small business owner, right? A coach, a consultant, an author, a speaker, and when, all, when I say all of those things, they're all kind of underlined by this fact that my mission is to unlock human potential. And I realized quite some time ago that as I was navigating a bunch of hardships, that my life's work was about how do I give other people some sense of hope? And the way that I was trying to navigate that was kind of coming back to my core values. And I understood that my core values were authenticity, growth, and, and spirituality. And when I kind of thought back to my life and the various things and how they work themselves out. I was raised in a very small town in West Michigan. And in my family's landscaping, law maintenance, and snow plowing business, I was never really allowed to be me. I was very much a robot and had to take instruction from my grandfather or from my father. And during those younger years, those teenage years and those early 20s, I felt really emotionally abandoned. And I didn't really know how to to navigate that. I didn't know why it was occurring, but I felt that I needed to uh, escape it or get away from it. And so in 2003, I left Michigan and came to Arizona where I'm at currently, worked in the hospitality industry for a couple of years. And then in 2008 was kind of where my life adjusted or changed because as a student uh, getting an MBA at the Thunderbird School of Global Management, I was introduced to the idea of coaching. And so part of how I became who I am today was having that experience, getting that degree, where my coach at the school said, you really need to consider leadership roles or human resources roles or opportunities where you can guide others. So prior to 2008, 2009, I didn't fancy myself to be a coach or someone who could uplift or give hope to others. Um, But at that point in time, a big shift occurred for me um, so that I was able to, to kind of navigate that. So what I realized was, is is that my life's work is about giving hope and unlocking human potential or helping people become the most authentic versions of themselves or said easier, be the person you needed when you were younger. And when I, when I kind of came to that agreement with myself, it all started to click and make sense. And so through those first probably 28, 29 years of my life, I realized that I had a recurring set of challenges and right around age 28, 29, 30, Pam, the coach at the school helped me overcome them. And so today, 
who I, who I am today is like, I now help other people overcome the exact same challenge I overcame in my younger years. So I'm all of the things that I just said, but really when it comes down to it, I love helping people overcome the same challenge I did in my younger years. Well, and that's the best we can hope for in our lives in some ways, right? Is to be able to put all of those experiences uh, into service of others. Yes. So you said two words that really struck me though. Okay. You said, I'm a soul. And you said, I'm human. Mm. Secondarily, elaborate, tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think through all of the trials and tribulations that I've been through in my life, um, I kind of got to this place of trying to understand why do I exist? What was my purpose on earth? Why was I here? Or what's the purpose of being a human? And I've come to, through all of my spiritual practices and meditation and journaling and reflection and working with Reiki masters and energy healers and spending time with people uh, connected to religious institutions. So I've done a lot of research and thought through this, trying to understand why are humans on earth? What's the point of it? And that brought me back to recognizing that all souls, right? Every human that is on this planet is a soul first, having a human experience right? We're here to learn, right? We use the five senses to be able to learn different spiritual lessons and to navigate things and to, to shed old traumas and to move into this place of um, being much more aligned with our life's purpose. And so through all of that learning, all of those conversations, I've come to this belief for myself that we are a soul first who's here on earth for, let's say, 100 years to be able to have specific experiences Um, help other people navigate life, get to that point of self-actualization. And it just so happens that we have a human body to navigate that process. So it's like a suit. Yes. Yep. (laughs) I've heard it jokingly referred to as a meat suit, Um, but but I look at it more as like, this is the the kind of short-term 100-year vehicle that we're using to navigate and interact with 8 billion other people on this planet. So I just think that we come to earth with a specific curriculum of ideas and things that we're supposed to navigate and learn and do in that our respective human bodies, no matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they look like, where they're from, background context, all of that stuff is completely irrelevant because I really truly believe in my heart of hearts that humans are far more similar than they are dissimilar, but but society acculturates us to believe something different. But the truth is, is that when you come back to your soul, it has a purpose. It's showing up on earth to, to live some sort of curriculum and then to guide others through their version of a curriculum. So first of all, you're saying like the words that are in my heart all the time, that we are more alike than we are different. I firmly believe that. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that everybody wants the same thing and that being healthy, happy, and secure, and having love, and all that in our lives is what everybody wants. Um, I'm curious, though, because you also said something, you've mentioned a couple of things more than once. You mentioned kind of your tribulations, the things that you've gone through. What kinds of things have you gone through that kind of brought you from where you were to where you are? Yeah. 
you know, the back in my family's business, uh, the landscaping and law maintenance company very much felt like a robot. I felt very emotionally abandoned. So one of the big transitions and decisions in my life in 2003 was to get married and to move to Arizona. So that was a big transformation for me. And then a few years later in 2008, at the point of me deciding to get the master's degree, my wife divorced me. She left me. Uh, and so that was a really big transition for me emotionally. And then in 2011, when I was working full-time for a large healthcare system, I realized that it wasn't for me. So I quit the job cold Turkey and started my coaching practice and I didn't have any clients. And so that was a really difficult transition to, to make, but it was really important. Uh, I made another big transition in 2016, where I decided to join a board of directors for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Arizona, and it offered me an opportunity to see various things about what it means to be a mentor or coach to many people around the state of Arizona, regardless of background. Uh, and then two more big situations that I think are important that helped to shape me were in the latter part of 2018, I realized that after being in a relationship for six years romantically, I realized that it wasn't right for me. And so I needed to leave that. And that was an enormously difficult decision because it triggered a series of events where um, I left this woman who I had loved dearly. Uh, we sent her daughter off to college. And then a couple months later, I was trying a few things in my business and they were not working. And so I was being hit with this uh, all of these really, really hard emotions where the life that I knew in 2016, 17, and 18, all of a sudden didn't exist at the beginning part of 2019. So in May of 2019, I was contemplating suicide. I almost left earth. And it was one of those things where I hadn't dealt with all of the traumas that were leading up to the beginning part of 2019. And so the universe or God or whatever you believe in forced me to get down to the dirt in 2019 to really shed and to really believe in myself in a new way. And so it was an incredibly difficult experience, but I'm really grateful that I was able to navigate it because now I can help others who might be at that point of despair or wonderment. And so all of those challenges gave me an emotional resilience and strength and a series of processes and, and experiences that can help me uplift them at that time for themselves. Okay, you've just said a mouthful. Okay, I want to unpack a little bit at a time. Sure. I do not wish divorce on my worst enemy. I think it is horrifying and only the lawyers win. Well said. How, how did the divorce itself go? Was it one of those, we've decided we're going to split and we're pretty comfortable with this kind of things? Or was, was it one of those more challenging ones where there's fighting over the can opener? <laughs> Thankfully, um, both she and I were very uh, the types of people who avoided conflict. So the process was quite smooth. Uh, in terms of the, the legal things and separating assets and things like that, that was quite smooth. Um, but the emotional tumult that I went through was, was not easy in any way, shape, or form. Well, it's challenging partly because, you know, nobody wants to see a relationship fail, but a marriage failing, and maybe failing isn't the right word, but that's the word we tend to use. A marriage failing, it, it really is, I mean, I'm di divorced more than once. Um, <laughs> Um, it hurts your heart, doesn't it? It makes you feel, you know, you can really identify with like, wow, I, 
I must have really screwed this thing up, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what happens. Um, I agree. And I was taught at a very young age that based, based on what my parents and the folks in the community that I was raised in, you were taught in those days that once you get done with college, you're supposed to get married almost immediately right thereafter. And so I thought that I was just kind of following what society says was appropriate. And I didn't have the courage or the self-awareness to really know that that wasn't the right time for me. And so I felt very uh, ostracized. I felt very abandoned again, right? I felt very uh, that I was making mistakes. And the truth is, is that I wasn't. Uh, I was actually being put back on my right life's path, but I didn't know it at the time. Right, right. And it's challenging too, because what happens with your friendships that have formed around that relationship? People exactly. think divorce is contagious, I think. <laughs> yeah, because I think we there is the, um, uh, Robert Cialdini calls it the law of social proof. And so when we see those around us doing specific things or standing up for themselves or separating from relationships, uh, it does give others the courage to do it too. And so, yeah, you're, if one of your friends does something, the likelihood of seeing others do it, good or bad, is going to happen. Yeah. Well, and then your business, you decided, I can't stay in this industry anymore. It's not for me. I'm going to start this coaching business instead. That must have been like a real leap of faith. How did that happen? And what, how did that transition uh, go? Yeah, it in 2009, as a second year student getting the MBA, I was asked by the career management center at the school to be a coach to first year students. Mm -hmm. And so in 2009, I was kind of thrust into this position of being a coach to people from around the world, because there were 53 different countries of student in the student body at Thunderbird. Mm -hmm. And so I was put into a place where I was coaching folks from around the globe. And it was so much fun for me. It was so invigorating. It was so enlivening. I just loved it. So then I went to the full-time job and for two years, I didn't have that feeling. I didn't have that feeling of, of really being joyful. Uh, I was making a lot of money. I had the, the car and the fancy stuff and it was so unfulfilling. So then as I was starting to really navigate and wonder, how do I get back to that place of fulfillment and happiness and joy? I was driving into work one day in uh, just kind of the traffic just came to a dead stop on the freeway. And I looked around and I just started bawling uncontrollably. And I was like, this being in the rat race is just not for me. And I just came to that conclusion for myself. So I think the next week I went in and incorporated my business and then worked through a plan for about four, five, six months to be able to get to the point where I could leave my job. Um, and so as I launched my business in the latter part of 2011, I immediately started teaching classes at a local university to just have enough money to get by. And so that transition was really important was me having the hardship of realizing that the corporate job wasn't for me, making the commitment to start the business, but then supplementing the income with a, a relatively normal or traditional job that didn't require quite as much of my time, but it was still aligned with what I wanted to do professionally. Mm -hmm. So as I, throughout that year, the latter part, basically 2012, 
that was such a blessing for me because I got to experience challenge myself through speaking publicly, uh, which I hadn't done a lot of before and teaching those classes and interacting with the students, which was deeply meaningful. But it also gave me a little bit of room to take the year of 2012 to really think about my business and to structure the processes and to think about marketing and how was I going to get out there. So here I am uh, basically 10 years later, still doing almost the same work as a coach. And it means so much to me, but I'll never forget those days in 2011 and 2012, where I had to struggle and to strive and to really drive and do things that were really uncomfortable to me. And that's really one of the challenges when you start a business anyway, right? Is first of all, you're learning new stuff. I don't care how many MBAs you get. (laughs) You're still learning new stuff, right? Yep. So what were some of the challenges when you first started your business? Yeah. You know, the, one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a coach when I first started is that I didn't have a defined process or set of programs by which someone could engage me. And so when I first launched, there wasn't, Hey, these are the three different packages that Michael has, right? The different price points and things that people could engage me. And I, I certainly did not have a consistent social media presence, or I was so shy and introverted in those days that I wasn't going after some of those big accounts and some of those opportunities maybe that I should have. And so I realized looking back is that I should have been just a little bit more structured uh, back then in how I launched and went to market. So that was a really big learning for me was more programs, more structures, more reach out, more opportunities for marketing and advertising just to get my brand built in the marketplace. And I should have put more effort on that on the front side. And instead I went to market with a little bit of a laissez-faire approach, and I didn't quite have some of those things in place. And that prolonged the time it took me to get to the point of independence. So I had to keep working jobs within colleges and universities throughout 2014 Mm -hmm. to get to the point at the beginning of 2015 that I was able to go to work for myself full-time. And so not having those programs and structures, not having some of those things in place set me back a little bit. Um, but I'm also grateful for the opportunities to teach at local universities or to coach at local universities because I met some wonderful people. So inside the challenges, there are little blessings too. Well, and I would imagine that it also gave you insight into some of the types of issues that different types of people are dealing with that you may encounter more in your business, right? Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. The the students that I ended up helping not only at the, the school I was teaching, but then I wor- worked as a kind of a master's degree programs coach at another university. And so I had easy access to more than 200 clients effectively, right? Where I was uh, using another system or process to be able to coach and help them. But I was able to learn patterns in human communication. I was able to learn about human fear. I was able to learn about, you know, what is a person really motivated by or what are their communication preferences or styles? And so although I wasn't using my process per se, I was learning an awful lot about what it takes to move people, right? To get them to do something that's uncomfortable. And so it might not have happened exactly how I initially envisioned it in 2011, but the outcome was actually far greater than I could have envisioned then. So for that, I'm really grateful. And then when you started your business, you really started getting it rolling. How did that go for you in terms of, well, you were working with other people who were launching their businesses, were you were you or were you punching above your weight, so to speak, working with people who are already pretty established? Who did you work with initially? Yeah, in when when 2015 came around and I was really able to work 
my business full time. The the thing that really helped her happen is that I I had built up enough of a brand within the students at those universities that they after they found their next job or their full time job, I was getting phone calls from them. And so it just so happened that the good work that I had done 2012, 13, and 14 came back in 2015 and 16, where those people that knew me either referred me to possible clients or they contracted with me directly. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. And my business evolved and changed, right? In 12, 13, 14, it was very much about career development and personal branding. And then I became certified to use a couple of personality assessments. So in 15 and 16, I got contracted to do a lot of trainings around communication And then that kind of grew, my brand grew from that to where in 18 and 19, I spent more time with executive coaching and organizational change management. So I had some big projects where I was working on changing company culture. And then 2020 came around with the pandemic and things shifted again a little bit right now, all of a sudden we're working virtually often. And I had a little bit more time because I wasn't on the road quite as much. And so I made a lot of time to write a book and that book was published at the beginning of 2021. So I'm really thankful with how it all worked out, um, where the referrals came to me. I did some really good projects and work, and that allowed for recommendations and testimonials to flow. Um, and, and it just kind of all worked itself out as time passed and progressed. But the thing that I really want people to remember through that is that it took a lot of persistence. It took a lot of resilience. It took a lot of grit to sometimes wake up at three o'clock in the morning and then work a 15 or a 16 hour day to get the work done. Um, because when you're launching a business, it can take three years to get to the point that you're really making money consistently. And, and that just takes a lot of hard work. Sometimes it's longer than three years. Yes. (laughs) Um, tell us about your book. What did, what did you put in that book that is valuable to people who want, is it for business people? Who's it for? Yeah, the, the, the book is designed for any person on the planet that is at the point of transition. And, and I mean, any type of transition, it could be they've recognized a difference in their soul, they want to change something about their career, maybe there's something personal or relationship or a habit or routine or a ritual that they're really looking to adjust. I do really well in this life at helping people that are at the point of change. And so I'll I'll put it up for you so that you can see it, Michelle, but the book is called I Know, and it's a practical guide for awakening to what's within and finding work-life integration. And the way that I designed the book was in three sections, uh, kind of designed around a change management methodology. So the first three chapters are about how do you end and let go of something? How do you let go of fear? How do you let go of something that has been lost in your life? How do you navigate emotional release? And so it's a very emotional first few chapters. And then the second section of the book is like an emotional neutral zone. So chapters four, five, and six are about what is your life's mission? What are your core values? What are the things that you're great at? And so getting really distinct clarity on who you are as a soul or a human. Mm -hmm. Chapter five is very much about building up your emotional intelligence. And and chapter six is about how do you begin to shift your identity to be this new person that you know that you are. And then chapter seven, eight, nine are very much about how do you uplift others? How do you become a coach? How do you design the right and engaged team, right? How do you create that organizational culture? So So a person could theoretically go into the book and they could read it from front to back and they would be walked through basically a nine chapter process Mm -hmm. to go from being unhappy and disengaged 
to being very clear and happy with where their life is. Or they could go in, let's say at a later date, and just read one specific chapter because each chapter is a series of stories. It's a series of research. And there's always a five-step process at the end of the chapter to help someone do something. So to make it really tangible for them. So that to me, uh, it meant a lot because, you know, after almost 10 years of coaching, I tried to put all of my best ideas and processes and accomplishments and wins into 54,000 words. And, <laughs> and so it was so much fun writing the book, but what's more meaningful to me than anything else is knowing that there are stories and there are processes and there are resources inside the book that can take someone from a place of being unhappy or needing some guidance to a place of being filled with hope and clarity. Like that means a lot to me. That's beautiful. And I think sometimes people, first of all, people don't understand it's not easy to write a book. And it's even harder to write a book that you really want to be meaningful to others, right? Not, um, no disrespect to fiction. I actually do a lot of editing of fiction and fiction brings uh, joy and raises ideas that maybe people aren't familiar with. So there's a lot of great things about fiction, but when you're trying to create something that helps people transform themselves, I think that's particularly challenging. Yeah. What kinds of uh, challenges did you experience as you were writing the book? The biggest thing for me is that I, I'm an introvert naturally uh, and quite task oriented. And so the, the biggest fear for me was fear that everything I put in the book was going to be criticized. Uh, or judged in some way, because I was, I was raised in an environment where uh, very homogeneous thought was the norm. Uh, and so anybody who did anything different uh, was ostracized or hurt or abandoned, as I've said a couple of times. So the biggest fear that I had writing the material was that, that my ideas, that my processes, that my stories were not going to be meaningful. They were going to be rejected. They were going to be made fun of. Uh, and that was an enormous emotional challenge for me. So I actually had a writing coach help me. So me being introverted and task oriented, I hired a writing coach who's a little bit more extroverted and people oriented mm -hmm. because I knew that she could help me. She could pull stories out of me that I wouldn't otherwise tell. So I feared the material in the book being criticized, but I also feared were the things that I was sharing about myself and my life's journey too vulnerable um, you know, was it the right time in human history to share them? Cause I talk about wanting to commit suicide. I, I talk about feelings of abandonment. I talk about other stories in the book to help people feel that it's okay to share their versions of that for themselves. But I didn't know if it was going to be accepted. And the, and as you know, from editing, Michelle, is that the timeline it became quite long, right? Six months to, to work with a writing coach, to write it, to make sure it was good. Um, and then I sent it to a group of friends to basically edit it and give me feedback for 30 days. And then I spent another couple of weeks working through the process of re-editing it and then sent it back to the uh, writing coach for additional ideas. And then after we were both good with it, we sent it to an editor for proofreading. <clears throat> and so all of a sudden, this little idea and all of the emotions that I felt around it became basically a 10 month process. Yeah. Right. And then there's self-publishing and all of the stuff associated with that. So it easily took uh, 10 or just over 10 months to navigate all of that from the idea that I wanted to write it to the time that it was actually published on Ingram spark and find away voices. It mm -hmm. took quite some time and each step of the way, the anxiety and the nervousness and the wonderment, of was it going to matter? Was it going to be good enough? Was it going to be worth it? It, it struck me every day. Yeah. And that was hard. That is, that is very challenging. And I think a lot of 
people who are writing books don't understand that there is a lengthy timeline if you're going to do this well. Um, one of the things that I am curious about, because you said 10 months, that's actually a pretty good timeline. Um, I usually recommend at least six months just from the editing to going live just for that part. Also, because you want to do some marketing of your book, right? And those should be parallel efforts. They should not be, okay, now I've got this book. Let me go market it. So what was your process for getting your book out there? Who did you approach and how did you do it? Yeah, the, uh, Thankfully, I was introduced to a local public relations agency um, that had some experience with marketing similar books. And so I contracted with them. So from basically July 1st of 2020, so while I was still writing the book, Mm -hmm. I was in the process of working with them to come up with a strategy, to come up with the brand, to come up with where we were going to go to market and how. So from July 1st of 2020, all the way through April 1st of 2021, that organization was supporting me. And so the strategy shifted and changed as we navigated different parts of the the book and it being released, but it began as uh, she was really working hard to get me as a guest on podcasts, or she was really working hard to get me little features inside uh, specific articles, or she used Harrow, help a reporter out to get little specific opportunities for my plug or my message to be shared by other authors and article writers. And so we tried podcasts, we tried uh, working through getting written pieces. Um, I'm a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, so we intentionally published some things through the Forbes magazine. Um, We also tried to do a webinar series where at the end of every webinar, uh, there was a little bit of a plug or giveaways of the respective book, if you will. So the webinar series, I think, went really well. And so we tried like an omni-channel or a multi-channel approach to get it out there as much as we could. Um, And then when the book went live on January 1st, we started going through the process of giving copies away to people and having them reading them for, for testimonials. And then in May, I went back to my hometown in West Michigan and did a book signing because uh, we, we couldn't really do one in person, you know, at the right. beginning part of 2021. Um, so we've tried a lot of different approaches and I'm thankful for the diversity and the variety and a lot of social media posts, of course, because uh, that, that's just the thing that's easy to get out. Um, but all of those things together really did help because the recommendations and the testimonials and the private messages that I get from folks about the book give me the confidence that all of the anxiety and the stress and the worry that I had in 2020 was unfounded, right? It didn't have to be that way, right? The feedback that I'm getting back now helps me believe that I, all of the investments of effort and time were completely worth it. Well, now you've got me curious. You went back home where homogeneous thought ruled the day when you were growing up. And that's where you did your first book signing. How were you received? What did people say there? Yeah, it, it, thank you. Uh, so th- there were kind of two sections to this, and they were both unexpected, but also blessings. So when the, fir- when, when the book first went live at the beginning of January 2021, uh, even though I wasn't able to travel back to West Michigan, a number of people that I was raised with, like friends and colleagues and people that I had done business with years ago, bought the book. And it took off like wildfire, like the messages and the things that I was getting back, the social media posts, people taking pictures of themselves with the book or people congratulating me. I, it really blew me away because I wasn't expecting it. 
especially with kind of the, I have, I left Michigan 17 years ago. So I didn't really think that they were thinking of me or any of that. And so during the month of January, in the early part of February, the feedback that I was getting through email, through text, through social media really was dumbfounding. I just didn't expect it. So then in the latter part of May, when we went back to, to actually do the book signing, that to me was a very intimate thing. We went to a specific uh, book club bookshop uh, back there, and I got to know the owner of the bookshop really, really well. Um, and so it was much more of like a small, intimate affair where family and some friends came because I think people were still nervous about COVID and health and all this and that. Um, but there were family members, and this is the most important part for me, there were family members that I hadn't seen in basically 19 and a half or 20 years that walked through the door into the bookshop and it just blew me away, right? And so that was not something that I was expecting. I wasn't expecting there to be a massive audience because of COVID, but I wasn't expecting those cousins or those aunts and uncles to walk through the door because I hadn't seen them or talked with them much. But when they did, I just was washed over with feelings of joy and it made it so worth it. It's like a healing. Yes, that's a great way to say it. Totally a great way to say it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Michael, you've blown me away with your story. I, I just need one more thing from you. Okay. You have to tell us about the painting because <laughs> it's so striking. <laughs> Thank you. So um, for those who might just be listening and not uh, seeing, there is a, a painting behind me. So a couple of years back, um, I was I was working with a, a a local artist. I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and we decided to barter services. And so for three Saturdays, uh, I sat down with her for a couple of hours and gave her some executive coaching to help her navigate some transitions that she was considering in her life. And so thankfully now she's at a place where she's able to do her art full time. And so I'm glad that her and my time together worked that she was able to leave her corporate position and now work as an artist full time. I'm so happy for her. So her uh, gift back to me was the, the painting that's behind me. And so it's a four foot tall by six foot wide canvas. And, uh, and it's, it's really, really big. And so she gave me a questionnaire and she said, what are the things that you value? What kind of art do you like? What colors are important to you? And so as she gave me this questionnaire and I sat in and thought about it and filled it out, um, one of the things that really became important for me is that I, I've been told by a Native American shaman that my spirit animal is a lion. Mm -hmm. And and I had never really thought about that or known that, uh, but I was told by the shaman that, that my spirit animal is a lion. So Sarah, the artist, was able to somehow pick up on that in my responses or answers. So the vast majority of the painting is a lion's head, mane, face. And what she did that I wasn't aware of until she revealed it to me was that she somewhat made the lion's face look like mine in that the eyes are blue, it, the cheekbones are pronounced, the hair is a little bit big and scraggly as mine is. Uh, and I do have a beard. So the beard on the lion kind of looks like mine. Um, but she also included uh, a sunrise, which is really important for me to give people hope and to help them rise into something new. There's a lot of water. I'm a Pisces. I love to be near water. Uh, so having the water there reminds me of calmer times or good energy. And there's also some feathers. And so in my journey, for some reason, as I've been in really tough situations, I'll be walking somewhere to a convenience store, a grocery store, the gym or wherever. And there are always feathers in my path. And, and it, 
I, I don't understand why, but they're almost always feathers. And so she did a really good job of including them in the painting as well. So these are the things sometimes as coaches, Michelle, is that uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes experimenting and taking the risk could lead to really beautiful destinations. And so the time that Sarah and I gave one another has led to her in a really, really meaningful career and has led to me every single day looking at this painting and being reminded of who I am. And that means so much to me. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And the lion really does look like you, the shape of the head, the shape of the face and everything. It's awesome. It's Thank awesome. You. Well, Michael, we had a wonderful time together. Would you mind sharing how people can connect with you? Yeah. Thank you so much, Michelle. So um, the best way right now, it's my website and it's michaelsseaver.com. There's two S's there in the center because my middle name is Scott. So michaelsseaver.com. And there's lots of uh, podcast material there. There's lots of media stuff. Um, they got three online courses, uh, lots of articles and blogs and so video content. So if you're looking to go from that place of disengagement to that point of clarity, uh, michaelsseaver.com might be a good resource to help you in that journey. Awesome. And where can they find your book? So uh, there is a section on the website that's for the book specifically with links to places like uh, um, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Google or Apple. The book is actually available not only in print, it's available in ebook and it's available in audiobook. So the, they can go to any of those major retailers that they're accustomed to and the book will be there. Um, but it is also, uh, you can get to it pretty quickly on that page of the website. Well, awesome. And for those of you who are like me, I like to listen to books. I have this book uh, and I think you should listen to it too. I think it's fabulous. Thank you so much, Michael. Michael S. Siever, Michael Scott Siever for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrow. Thank you. Well, that's our show this month, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you tune into the show on February 17th when my guests will be Jessica Hammerman and Isaac Peterson of Emerald Books. You can find us once a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.